The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. What's up to all my equal play bays? That sounded so much better in my head than it did on on a recording. But I'm so excited to welcome in my colleague and just superstar reporter, like not even, that's not even biased. That's just fact. Madeline Kenny into the show. Maddie, thank you so much for coming on Equal Play. We've got lots to discuss today. Why did something happen this week? A homecoming of sorts. And yes, it's true. (laughs) Candace Parker is returning to Chicago. Maddie, Mm -hmm. what does this mean for the sky? I mean, First things first, this is easily the biggest free agent signing in Chicago Sky history. They've had an issue with trying to get big free agents to come to Chicago for whatever reason. And so not only is this like, this is like a franchise altering signing for a lot of different reasons. And like, that's one, you know, maybe Chicago can be a draw for big free agents in the future. Um, also, it just it puts the sky from being like an above average team with, you know, the promise of Diamond to Shields taking a giant leap this season, which everyone is kind of counting on right. to serious title contenders, if not early WNBA final favorites. Um, Candace Parker is, is like the one stop solution to all of the sky's issues from, you know, front court defense, defense in the paint. Um to just like that veteran presence that they're missing without John Tell Lavender. You know, mm-hmm. Candace Parker has won a WNBA championship. She knows what it takes. And part of the thing that drew her to the sky in particular, you know, along with, you know, it being a homecoming of sorts, she grew up in Naperville, went to Naperville Central High School as a star there. Um, but she sees the talent that the sky have, and she thinks that they're going to be, um, champions this year. She sees them winning titles moving forward. And so mm-hmm. this is like a place that she kind of wanted to end her career. Which there are so many layers to this. I mean, why, you know, why leave the Sparks? That's been a huge question for everybody. Mm-hmm. What's going on with the Sparks, first of all, because Candace isn't the only star player to leave the organization. But also, um, you know, like you mentioned, the roster that she's joining. Another question is her age. You know, at 34 years old, all of these things she's accomplished, how much is left in the tank? So um, for you, looking at what she's already accomplished, how much do you think she has left to accomplish? And, and you know, at 34, what what left does she have? What does she have left to give to this guy? Any doubt that age was catching up to Candace Parker was push, pushed aside 
last season after having she finished what third in MVP voting and had was named defensive player of the year right you know what she did in the bubble proved a lot granted she did say that not traveling you know helped with the wear and tear on her body throughout the season but she definitely has a lot more to offer and to give and I think that she's going to be great you know working with Diamond to Shields and like Diamond posted something funny about like <laughs> the, the shit talking like you know, I just think that there and there's implications also off the court that you can't overlook. You know, there's been so much buzz since since even like as recent as like Mon or I would say Monday, you know, when talks they were having talks, people were like, Oh my gosh, if Candace Parker comes to Chicago, I'm buying season tickets. I'm buying a jersey. You know, there's this like excitement around the team, Chicago fans, they're crazy. They rally around their homegrown players, like I think that this will be a really good thing for the sky, you know, not only in their pursuit for a title, but in growing their fan base. And as we've talked about creating their space in this like crowded sports landscape in Chicago. 100%. I posted a funny little tweet just talking about the sports landscape in Chicago and that it's the sky and the red stars and everybody else. And honestly, I see no faults in that tweet when you're considering the success of these teams in recent years, the sky and the red stars are the most pro the two most promising teams Chicago has right now. And that's just fact. I mean, obviously the white Sox are on the up and up, but when you think about success and immediate success, those are the two teams that are going to bring the most um, immediate success to the city of Chicago. So when you think about these two teams, who do you think is bringing a championship home first? I and mean, we talked about this before the recording, but whose <laughs> championship game is first? <laughs> right. Shout out to Arnon Whistler. He, I, I reached out to the team actually, you know, uh, earlier in the week when the news was announced that Candace was coming home. And I just asked, I asked a couple of the players, you know, who's bringing home a championship first. And Arnon definitely said, well, whose championship game is first. So I think fans of these two teams have so much to look forward to. But you spoke to Candace Parker's agency and got some details on, you know, what went into this decision. What can you say about what went into this decision for her to return to Chicago and, um, you know, leave an organization that she didn't seem like she was ever going to leave? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think and there's something to be said about a player that wins a title and stays with a franchise throughout their entire career, like spending your last 13 years somewhere and then leaving is kind of I mean, it's a shock to the system for a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people thought Candace Parker would leave. But, you know, she did have a rocky relationship with Derek Fisher. Um, I'm not you know, going to jump to conclusions and say that was like the tipping point of it all. Um, but that has been noted in the past. Um, what her agent said to me was that it was a difficult decision, an emotional one at that. It wasn't about the money. It was about winning championships. And she wants to bring a championship title to her home of Chicago. Um, and so I think we'll hear when we do get to talk to Candace Parker, when everything is official, I think we'll be able to you know, get to know more in depth on like what went into that detail or that decision. Um, you know, and Dwayne Wade, he tweeted like a tweet that was not so subtle at all right. um, about being like respected and like valued. Um, and so I think that might 
be a hint at what is to come and what we'll hear, you know, within the next week or two. I'm not sure when we would be able to talk to her. I also think the fact that her agency is talking about, um, you know, she didn't do, she's, she's not interested in the money. It's about championships. I think that gives fans and this organization a huge vote of confidence that this team is ready to win a championship right now. And this mm-hmm. move makes that possible right now. Um, well, I- even like- Jumping off of that, uh, didn't mean to cut you off, but even Alan Quigley is saying that, you know, Steve Greenberg, or another one of our colleagues, talked to her this week for another story, and she she says that she feels like this is the year to go all the way. She, I mean, this is a, this is a exact or a direct quote that Steve got from Allie. She said, "quote I think it I think it felt like." that every year recently this this next year is going to be our year next year next year but now it really feels that way if everyone's healthy and adding a championship piece like candace i don't see why not you know she said she's really really excited about it and so excited that's beyond excitement at this point i think that that's the sentiment a lot of the sky players and their fan base feel with the addition of candace parker can we just talk about the combination of Courtney and Candace, like pick and roll situations, even like drive and dish out to Allie? Like this team is going to be so fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And you got uh, like, I mean, I like tweeted the potential starting lineup, you know, with it's Vandersloot, Quigley, DeShields, Stevens, Parker. Um, that is scary. That's a lethal starting five. And then right. you have like Gabby coming off the bench and Kalia Copper after what she did this season and like Stephanie Dolson, you know, like there's just so many great, there's so much talent on this roster. 100%. I did want to ask though, obviously with the addition of Candace, um, other moves are expected and should be announced soon. What can you say about how um, free agency is going to continue to affect the Chicago sky? I mean, this has already been reported, but Cheyenne Parker is out the door. She's um, going to sign with Atlanta Dream. Um, That's both confirmed from some of my sources and also many other people have been reporting that. So she's going to be gone. The Skies still need to get a backup point guard to play behind Courtney Vandersloot when she needs time off the time off the floor and can also compliment, you know, Gabby would like to put play her at point forward um but you know just playing off of some of her strengths um whether they find I think that you find a player like that at like a veteran minimum salary type of player I'm not really I mean I'm not really sure who they would who they're pursuing or who they like really think will fill that void in that spot um and then all obviously they'll also probably look to the draft to build for the future because something that needs to also be noted is this sky almost every single player on the sky is on expiring contracts right after the season. So Diamond, Stevens, Williams, Copper, Dolson, Vandersloot, Quigley, I think that's all of them, are all due for contracts and most likely pay raises after the season. And the salary cap, I think, increases only 3% of what uh-huh. it is this year. So it'll be really interesting to see how that all plays out. But that's still down line. We got time. So then do we think it's championship or bust considering that these contracts are 
coming to an end and there's definitely a shakeup that's going to take place after this season. I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, win now is the mentality that even sky owner, Michael Alter said, um, you know, he wanted, he doesn't like to admit that there's pressure or a sense of urgency, but the championship window is clearly open now. Um, Vandersloot, Quigley. Yeah. Vandersloot, Quigley and Parker. Those three players are all over the age of 30. Um, they still play like they're in their prime, obviously, but that's something you can't overlook. Um, the, the window's open now. They need to take advantage. They need to win now. Um, and you can't expect a player to stay based on loyalty alone. Like, if they can go get paid more elsewhere, they sh- why would they not go? You should right. go get paid, you know? And right. I think we saw that with Cheyenne Parker. Um, the Sky weren't able to pay her what she was getting offers for. And so it was in her best interest to go elsewhere. And I think – you know, her teammates respect that the sky respect that, like, you gotta go get your money. 100%. There's still, like we talked about before we got on to, um, you know, this interview, there's still emotions tied to that because mm-hmm. she was drafted by the sky. She, you know, grew up with the sky. There's, there's emotions tied to that, but you can all read more about the Cheyenne Parker news, um, Candace Parker news, in tomorrow's edition of the Chicago Sun-Times Sports Saturday. And Maddie will, of course, have um, more stories to come with this evolving free agency landscape. But before I let you go, um, I do want your input on the Las Vegas Aces. You know, this is, I don't, I mean, this rivalry between them, I think, got solidified in 2019, but now with Chelsea Gray signing um, a multi-year deal with the Aces and obviously being a former teammate of Candace, all of these things, do we see a, you know, a head-to-head battle between the Aces this year? What do, what do we think this, uh, this matchup is going to be like this year and for years to come? Do we see this developing into a, a bitter rivalry? I hope so. I mean, like, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter, but you have to have rivalries. Like that right. just makes it more fun to have a game that you have on your schedule that you circle four extra times because it's, it's, you know, it's an important like game. Um, I think so. I think the aces are another WNBA final favorite. Um, and so they're going to be really competitive with Asia Wilson, Liz Kimbeige, Gray, um, you know, they're, they're a stacked team, you know, winning a title in 2021 is not going to be easy. And we say that every year, but especially this year, there's like four, four, maybe I would say four, maybe five teams that you can consider super teams in the WNBA, which is absolutely insanity. It just goes, it's testament to the talent they have. But I think there's a rivalry there. I think the players kind of feel it. The fans definitely feel it. And I think it, it only benefits the league and the teams to have this rivalry, even if it's off of a questionable last seconds shot in a second round game from two years ago. That will live on in infamy. I don't know if that's, I don't know if sky fans will forget that. (laughs) That'll like literally in sky history be a source. It's It's the shot. It's the shot. 
Well, Maddie, I appreciate you coming on, getting us uh, kicked off on this episode of Equal Play. We have more WNBA talk conversation with this week's guest, Bleacher Report producer, host, reporter, master of all trades, Ariel Chambers joins me. So stick around for that conversation. It's coming up next. I am so thrilled to welcome in good friend, fellow media member, Ariel Chambers, Forbes 30 under 30. Can we like clap for that? Producer, reporter, I mean, master of all trades for Bleacher Report. Ari, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a long time coming and I get to start my day with you. So I'm really hype about it. <laughs> I, I Like you said, a long time coming. I've been wanting to talk with you because like we kind of mentioned before we got into this interview, when you talk with a fellow media member who's also a friend, you just know what goes into getting where you're at. So the point of this conversation is to really shed some light for any of our listeners who maybe aspire to get into this business or just, you know, like need yeah. some inspiration. I'm so of sisterhood here. We're doing it. Your journey in sports from what I've read about you I mean, didn't obviously didn't start in college, but your college experience at North Carolina State, you were a cheerleader. And I wonder how that shaped your experience and your future in sports. Well, I will say NC State was a main contributor, but it wasn't in college where I got that NC State impact, that NC State effect. When I was growing up, I tell a lot of people I went to the KL games, the NC State women's basketball games. And back in the 90s, they were just as good as they are now. And so just being able to grow up, being surrounded by women's basketball, seeing a woman head coach, and then you go down the street and you see Sylvia Hatchell as a women's head coach. And just seeing those people, those women in power and how they conduct themselves, like being bosses and being so dominant. And obviously we had Pat Summit that was reigning back then too. So just seeing women in these powerful, spaces at such a young age had an impact and so when I did end up going to NC State because I did cheer my whole life it was a dream of mine to cheer for NC State and I grew up um my all-star cheer gym I know a lot of people don't know about all-star but it's like AAU only cheerleading my all-star cheer gym NC State all-girl team practiced there so I was I want to I want to be an all-girl I want to I want to cheer here and and I ended up doing that but just being able to surround yourself by women doing dope powerful things at such a young age carries on with you and you'll see them in those spaces like I intentionally only wanted to cover the women's game because that was what I was exposed to when I was younger after college I read that you moved to New York to pursue Mm -hmm. a modeling career so when did that transition take place that you really started to refocus your goals and dreams and aspirations to becoming this content producer, this reporter, this, like we said, master of all trades um, in sports media. Yeah, no. So when I was in college, I started modeling um, my freshman year of college, 2009. And because all the work was in New York, I would be going back and forth to New York. Um, And then, so after graduation, I knew I had to end up in New York in order to, you know, carry it out the career. But uh, my friend Alyssa Thomas was playing in the WNBA her rookie year, 2014. And I was going with some of her friends to her game and I didn't realize that the WNBA had cheerleaders. Uh And so I was like, oh, this is right up my alley. So I found the director's uh, email address and I was like, hey, 
hey, want to do Liberty Torch Patrol. How can I do this? And then she was like, mm, I think you need to do a full season of Nick's. And I'm like, that's not what I asked you at all. <laughs> like, I didn't ask you to do Nick's. I was just want to do the women's side of things. But I did one full season with the Knicks, ended up going to Liberty Torch Patrol and being a fast track to a leader on that team um, within my first year. Because, again, intentionally wanted to only do Women. Liberty. Um, yeah. And so meeting meeting people within the league, meeting the media members that covered it, because there were only three of them, like three or four. It was Howard, Erica, and um, Doug. <laughs> they were just faithfully there. There were a couple other um, beat reporters, but I could count on my hands, like how many were there. And this is the world's most famous arena with the top 144 athletes coming in and out of it. And I'm like, why aren't people covering this? So what I did, because I had friends in the league, I would go to their away team hotel room and set up my phone in the conference room and like shout out to all those that like <laughs> went to the Renaissance conference room and recorded with me. Um, and when I would travel, I would go to their places and recorded it. And then I would post it on Twitter and YouTube and it picked up traction. And then with the guidance of Howard Megdahl and LaChina Robinson, it just picked up speed and, and then the fan base grew. And then it, it, Bleacher Report found me and that's how I ended up starting the women's platform at Bleacher Report. Yeah, which has just excelled and we're going to get into that. But before we transition from this part of the conversation, I wonder what your advice then is for young aspiring journalists and young, you know, aspiring anything, period, about just taking that step of reaching out to people directly. I hear all the time people ask the questions of like, how did you get here? How did you make this happen? And a lot of times it's just simply that you make it happen. So what is your advice for young hustlers in terms of, you know, making that first connection that then turns into an opportunity. And then before you know it, it's like trickling into, you know, you're, you're on your journey. Yeah. Don't wait for your yes. So if you see a white space that you're passionate about, occupy it. I saw that nobody was talking about my homies. So I talked to my homies and talked about them and it picked up traction. So it's not like, oh, I need to wait for a bleacher report to find me or I need to keep applying to these big companies to do it. No, if this is something you're passionate about and you would do for free anyway, work for yourself and see what, what money comes along the way with it. But like fill that void and don't wait for somebody to give you permission to fill it. Just step in the place of it and, and get it out, like get it done, get the work done and figure out how to get the work done. A lot of people contact me and saying like, Ari, how do I do this? But I saw a meme the other day that was, I don't want to paraphrase it wrong, but it was like, don't ask advice for ideas, ask uh, like feedback for the product that you produce. It was, it was something along those lines, but it's just like, don't ask me how to do your idea, do the idea your way and I'll give you feedback on it. So that's, that's another big one. So just find that white space occupied it occupy it and don't wait for your yes. When you first started in the business and you were doing these phone interviews, how did you hype yourself up to not feel that like, because I know what you're talking about in the locker rooms where you're like the only person doing something on a phone and you have these like older white mm -hmm. men essentially mm -hmm. looking at you like, where's her camera crew? Why doesn't she have a real mic? Why, why is she doing this? You know, they're like judging you. So in your experience, how did you hype yourself up to give yourself enough confidence to ignore that mm -hmm. and push through it? And then again, prove the point that, no, this is the future. 
So I cheated a little bit. I, I went to my friends. So whenever, whenever a team would come, I would go to the player that I was closest to, despite how the game went and they would make me feel, I had that advantage that they would make me feel more comfortable. And then if I didn't know another player, they'd introduce me, but not everybody has that advantage. So my thing is just, you need to know what your, your purpose is in there and get it done because the people who are out there maybe judging you aren't the ones paying you. Absolutely. I had to get out of that, like that mindset. I was lucky enough to have a mentor, Howard McDowell, who was a white man, ironically, who who was like, forget about everybody else. I'm going to introduce you to the right people. I'm going to put you in the right places, which is the importance of a a mentor. And then in return, as the mentee, I showed him the future of everything. Mm -hmm. So it's like a mutually beneficial relationship too. Again, mentees who have these, these mentors in your head make sure that it's gonna be a mutually beneficial relationship. It's not just a one-way street. That's how mentors get burnt out. But have a mentor that can show you the ropes and then you can show them innovation. So when I'm in this locker room and Howard's over here with his notepad, I'm like, hey, can I step in at the end of this and get this interview with this player? And then it's just the transition and he makes way for me. I had, uh, you know, you get to know people in the league office so that like draft day, Ron Howard makes sure that I know, like that I get to the right person. Um, he's the league PR who makes sure that I get to the right person. But it's just honestly the confidence that you have in your work, um, keeping your eye on the prize and what you need from you know the circumstance and having the right mentors in place will set you up to be perfect. <laughs> Not perfect like execution, but to be perfect uh, with getting what you need. Your opportunity with Bleacher Report. Can you elaborate on how this all came to fruition, how it presented itself. I know from what you said that they saw what you were doing and reached out. And so how did this progress into your position now? Okay, so it's funny because I think it was 2018, I was at a luncheon and I was sitting next to Christina Tapper who used to work at BR, uh, editorial side, she was an editor. And I, I didn't know who she was. I was just talking to her and I was talking to her about how I'm passionate about women's sports only, like specifically the WNBA. And she was like, oh, do you want to come by my office? I had no idea she worked at BR, right? None. So ended up going to BR, meeting some people. Mind you, at this point, I, I'm a writer first, not necessarily on camera talent first. So I was talking to the editorial team back then, Ben Osborne and all of them. And it just felt like home. It was really cool. Um, spoke to Omar back when he worked at HOH and just like, you know, talking to the people within the company, um, didn't think anything of it. Then, you know, Twitter brings a lot of people together. Meredith Minkow, who works at the San Francisco office and I were really close Twitter friends. So I love Minks. And so she was very aware of my work. And basically something happened within Bleacher that was like, okay, we need to cover women. And Minks like put in a good word and then they, they kind of clocked my Twitter. So Doug Bernstein from House of Highlights reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to build our women's platform? It would be the, the women's version of House of Highlights um, from the ground up. And I was like, eh, I don't know. He was like, you know, it'd be a great opportunity for you to really like grow and, and we'll nurture you and everything like that. And so ended up taking the job um, and I built Back then it was called We Are Jayla. They handed me a platform with no followers that was named We Are Jayla. I was like, this is not going to work. Let's let's Wait, change. Well, what was it called? We Are Jayla. So shout out to everybody listening that has been following since it was named Jayla. I actively, actively worked hard on a rebrand. Ended up branding it to highlight her because it just makes sense. It, it just is, makes sense. It flows so perfectly. It's the perfect <laughs> handle. It's the perfect <laughs> handle. 
<laughs> so rebranded that and was able to leverage and utilize my connections within the sports industry to, to grow it and, and really foster a space that's like a community for women to share dope, you know, highlights, UGC, um, stories, everything like that. Um, but it really challenged me because prior to that, I had only covered NCAA in, 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 um, in WNBA. So learning about the soccer world, which is like a whole new world, like one of my first assignments, mind you, I say assignment loosely because I put these assignments on myself. Back yeah. then I was only in programming. I just made my own job. Anyway, um, <laughs> ended up being the U.S. Women's National Team for World Cup. And so I went to the press conference. I was like, hey guys, be right back. Went to the press conference and met these players. They were great. When they went and won, um, ended up being in the parade with them. Super fun. Then Ashlyn and Allie came back to the office. Long story. Howard was like, how did you get on the float? Let's not talk about it. Then Ashlyn and Allie ended up coming back to the office thanks to my glorious intern back then, Risa Page. She's really well connected within soccer. And that was like my first soccer story, like just to sit down on the couch with Ashlyn and Allie. And it just grew from there. And then I met Crystal and like developed a great relationship with her. And then I realized there was such a big fan base for Chicago crossover. And so really utilizing that crossover content. And then I have in my ear, my friend Kelsey Trainer saying, hey, you need to pay attention to soccer. And then I have Erica Ayala, my other friend saying, hey, you need to pay attention to women's hockey. So just having these relationships that really push me to be more, do more and pay attention to more. I'm forever thankful for my tribe for like really being like, Hey, let's not get comfortable. There are more women's sports to cover. Right. Uh, yeah. That was my like <laughs> 10 second journey. When you were coming up in this business, what did you know you wanted to do a little bit of everything or did you have people telling you, you know, you need to hone your skills in one Avenue because in my experience, I had in college, traditionally people were like, you can either be a broadcaster, you can be a writer, you can get into TV or you can get into radio, you can get into print or you can get into photography. There wasn't this encouragement of touching every avenue. Mm -hmm. And so for you, when did you realize I want to do, I want to hand in everything? Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say I want to do everything. It's just being a woman in sports, you have to know how to do everything. So when I started out, I love performance. So I love being front facing. I knew that much. Um, but again, I can't center myself around this content because the whole goal is to tell women's stories. So being behind the lens and being able to produce was necessary. But you got to realize I'm a cheerleader, not a basketball player. So why would somebody trust my input on the game. So I had to write, even though I love writing, I was, an, I was a new communication media major and an English major. So writing came very naturally to me. Um, so I knew that that was a way I can get my credibility out. Um, I have actually, like, I didn't tell you this before, but I have a background in PR too. I worked at um, the small PR firm before I ended up doing sports. Uh -huh. um, that was my other like side job while I was cheering. Um, but I learned that. And so when Bleacher hired me, I was a one woman show and I had to program. I had to produce, edit, talent, talent book. Like I had to do all these things. The only thing I didn't have to do. No, I shot too, because I had my phone before I had access to our production team. But I had to learn these in order for my vision to be executed. Mm. And how good or not good I am at them. That's just a reflection of like me having to be like, I had to do it. <laughs> it, was, it was just in, in urgency 
because nobody else would. Right. Uh, so I, I guess that that's the best way to answer it. Like if ideally what I would want to do is to have a long form sit down show with players okay. and be the talent talking to the to players. That's like my ultimate goal. What's your advice for young women coming up in the business? Should they continue in that mindset or should we be encouraging women to hone one skill? So I will say the ones coming up now have a disadvantage with only doing one skill because their generation knows how to program because they do it naturally. They know how to shoot and edit because that's literally secondhand nature because of TikTok and things like that. Right. They have to know strategy, building your personal brand. We don't have the privilege of only having one position now. And that's across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so just have a, a competency level of every skill that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say holding on one talent just because I don't believe that's the future. Cause I, I even see it bigger companies now they're, they're doing, even if you are strictly talent, you're going to have to produce too mm-hmm. and work on your brand. The personal brand is an asset to companies. So right. there are so many elements as to why I wouldn't tell a young person to hone in on one thing. Right. Um, and that thing, but it's going to be across the board and not just us as women. Now I, I would encourage us to change our mentality behind it. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, oh God, if I don't know all these, I'll get fired. Be like, I want to know all these because I want to be equipped with doing excellent work. I want to have the skills that I have to, so I don't have to wait for anybody to tell me yes. Right. <laughs> that, that's the mindset we should shift to. But I will say going forward, it's going to be increasingly hard um, to, to convince a company that they should hire you if you only have one skill. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that the term multimedia journalist is going to be, if you aren't a multimedia journalist, I don't, I, I'm worried about what, how, how you separate yourself because the expectation is, okay. Is across the board, right? It's not just sports. Like I have my friend Kendra, she's an anchor. She has to do her own pr- production. Sometimes she's out there in the field shooting. Like, and this is hard news. Like you have to know how to put together your package. I would encourage everybody, no matter what, Please know how to write because no matter if you're just doing social, you still have to write captions. You still have to know your audience and be able to like write it down so that it uh, like the post appeals to them. So and then a lot of times with the quote cards, just knowing normal grammar and syntax and and just, you know, where punctuation goes, just just know how to freaking write. That's an underutilized skill set, like not underutilized. It's just a skill set that we just underestimate a lot. I want to touch back on highlight her for a second. You know, when you started or, or took over this rebrand, you know, you talked about changing the name and I want to know what kind of encouragement you were giving yourself to, to be like, this is the name we got to go with or, or to start suggesting big drastic changes to make it successful because you know, when, so, when someone new comes in, I think sometimes there's this idea, like I need to test the waters before I can give out my opinion or make significant changes. So for you, when you were given that opportunity, um, how quickly were you throwing out this, this is where this needs to go? And how was it received when you originally were, were bringing these new ideas to the table? 
I don't think they hired me to water down my opinion. And that's what a lot of people in the company are very shocked at how vocal I am always. <laughs> because yeah. I, I just feel like if I'm hired to do this, then like, why am I going to be quiet? And I'm fortunate enough to have a team that I know no matter what will always have my back. We see this like through the Black Lives Matter protest last year. I was on the front lines and I was very vocal and like very audacious, whether it be with highlighter or just my own personal. I saw that how they really valued my voice. But no, I, who's going to tell me, you know, on my own platform, you know, like I, I, I grew up from zero to now almost 90,000 followers. So how are you going to say, Hey Ari, maybe your idea isn't right. I'm like, I know from day one that nobody, I'm a woman. So a group of men, white men in particular, who decide Jayla is a name that women will register with doesn't make sense to me. So let's figure out how we can change this. And my thing is like offer a solution instead of just, you know, talking about the problem. So I was like, here's my solution. Here's the name that I came up with. Here's how it ties into the brand House of Highlights, Highlighter. It's just Highlight, hello, and Highlighter. That can help you with stylistic things with the neon colors, the brush strokes. So it just made sense. Pitching somebody a deck is very easy when you know exactly like how it will work. And because it's not like a woman's name, it might make it feel more inclusive, even though like the her in it, we're still like struggling with because like the gender non-conforming. Right. Whatever. That's a story for different. Um, <laughs> but just to make make it more brand aligned, make it make more sense in the company, because if we're not going with BR women, then it just makes sense to have something affiliated with House of Highlights. And just stylistically, it just makes sense. So how can you tell somebody who's pitching you this dot, like this deck? Hey, we, we can't go with this. Like, why not? The name's not taken. We can simply just change it. Makes more sense in the long run. We don't have to explain the name to everybody. They're like, who is Jayla? That was like the number one question. I was sick of explaining that whole situation. So because I was very vocal about a solution, it was well-received. Traditional journalism, we're kind of taught to keep this, this space between, you know, having friendships with athletes or having friendships with coaches and getting your job done. And I just don't agree with that. I think you're able to get better content when there's a mutual respect, when there is a friendship level, when people feel comfortable to open up to you. So I think there will always be this avenue of traditional journalism, you know, when you think of beat writers and and all of those job titles, but it does seem like this industry is trending more towards connection and understanding and mutual respect So for you, did you always know you wanted to use your personal uh, connections to grow your career or was that a struggle in the beginning? I never switched anything up. So everything that I'm doing now, I was saying before I had a job in it, like literally my Twitter, I mean, I might say the WNBA is so important a lot more now, but it, there was no strategy behind it. These people are my friends. They, the relationships fostered naturally. I'm not using them for any time. Cause if I need to get a story, I would go through PR. Like, you know what I mean? Like these are n- normal relationships that I have. I've grown up around the basketball space. So I don't have to work extra hard to, um, to create a relationship that wouldn't otherwise be there. And I, and I want to touch on the traditional journalism side. Um, we saw in the last dance, like beat writers have relationships with players because they, 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 they're always present, especially right. in the side. There are what, 44 home games. You're going to get to know that, that journalist and you're going to establish like whether or not you like them or not. 
Right. And so I just, I think that any type of storytelling in general requires a relationship unless it's like the hard investigative journalism side, because then that's like, obviously you can't be emotionally tied, but for sports to get the right stories, I, I think that you, you're going to have to be very familiar with the, the player. The player's going to have to trust you enough, whether that's day one meeting them or day, you know, 500. Uh, just treating the players like humans. <laughs> they're, not, they're not like, what, what I do with, with my storytelling is I go into it, which I wouldn't suggest young people don't listen to me because I go into it with no type of motive and just see what we get out of the conversation. Okay. Like, like say, say it's, uh, something happening in society, like last summer with Black Lives Matter, I'll just talk to the player and I'm like, how are you? And we'll go from there. It's not like a, how do you stand up for this? Like, no, it's not like a concrete question. It's just like, how are you? And we'll gauge how that that goes. And and with, I had an interview with Skylar Diggins-Smith before the protest even started. And I was like, how are you? And she was talking about how like, she's trying to adapt to motherhood. So we went down the motherhood path, which led to, you know, the new CBA, like, having her um, more protected with motherhood. And then she was talking about the psychological impact. And so I'm like, so what are you doing like for yourself? And so that's a story of self-care, but just going where they, where they lead you is really important. But as far as like with your question about, um, you know, utilizing them to grow my career, that's never my thing because I can grow my career, what I'm doing at BR by just posting viral videos. I intentionally just want to tell women's stories. So if they're comfortable enough telling me a story, I'm going to tell it. If not, we can do it again later, like years down the line. It doesn't have to be now. I always want people to feel so comfortable um, with what they share. And I never want to force a narrative that just might not be there. You were named to Forbes 30 under 30 list in December, which is just a phenomenal accomplishment. Like this is a list that I think successful people across the globe, across the world read these lists and young kids are like, man, one day I want to be on the 30 under 30 list. So for you being named to this list, have you had much time to reflect on what exactly that means, the significance of that moment? And also, how did you find out? Was this something that they kind of warned you ahead of time? Did they call you the day of? Did no one call you and you just saw your name? How did this all play out? So uh, I guess nominations are sometime before October because in October they contacted me and saying, hey, you've been nominated. And so then you have to fill out a survey and it's like more like getting to know you. You don't hear about anything. Then the day of, I don't wake up early. I don't like early rising. I'm not about the early bird picks up the worm. So like, apparently the list came out at eight. I might've wake like, woke up at like 10 o'clock <laughs> to like hundreds of text messages. Congratulations. Congratulations. And I was like, what? Like never, like no type of warning, no type of anything. And it's just, it's just really, really cool to me. Like how Forbes moves in silence, like lasagna. <laughs> like, it was just, it's just crazy. Wait, and then did you sleep with your do not disturb on, because how did you sleep through all these notifications? Listen, listen right now I got a new phone last week and I might have like over a hundred unread text message is terrible um but like I just me and my phone we have an interesting relationship and I just don't pay mind to it because my work is on my phone um but yeah no I don't even sleep with my phone near me anyway but that's I woke up to all those text messages and I didn't see the list till people saw it so it was the shock and ever since then it's been pretty hectic I want to 
I need to do to be better with like utilizing that and stepping into that and really owning the fact that I am Forbes 30 under 30. I, I, I don't think that I really understood the magnitude of it until well, I'm still learning until like I see people's reactions and I'm very grateful. Like, let's not get it twisted. I'm internally, like, internally grateful for um, the honor and like us just, just making my parents proud. Like they have my church talking about it. So I think that's really, really adorable. My dad contacted local news. And so WRL um, was like interviewing me from Raleigh and just making like the whole city of Raleigh proud and the whole state of North Carolina proud was really, really dope. Um, there were a few people from North Carolina. So that was really cool to see, but it's just a network of dope people. Like I've talked to some of my Forbes sisters and brothers and one of them, <laughs> was like, yeah, I saw a problem. I saw this discrepancy in lacrosse and I fixed it. And then $24 million later, I'm fine. I'm like, you're 25 years old with $24 million. That's crazy to me. But like just finding these problems and being able to solve them was just like, it's it's literally, that's what the premise of everybody who's on that list did. They, they saw a problem and they solved it. That white space that I was telling, the, like the advice earlier, you occupy that white space and you do it with passion, it's going to pay off. And that's what Forbes is. It's the accumulation of hard work because people don't realize like, yeah, I'm more visible the past two years, ever since I've been with Bleacher Report, but I have been grinding. Like I was like not being able to eat like three for a dollar banana still and toilet tissue from public places because I was trying to cover this sport. I, I crowdfunded for all-star games. So I remember every single person who ever donated for me to get to a game and I'm forever indebted to them. But just to see that that work and having that that tribe behind you, those people believing in you um, to all come out on the Forbes 30 and 30, I just thought that, that was like a win for all of us because they saw something in me, you know, beforehand and, and really helped foster that. And like my mentors and everything like that, like that was really cool to share with them like that honor. There's a lot of conversations taking place now and rightfully so about free work, working for free, internships, and it's a privilege to be able to work for free. And there's so many young men and women who can't work for free. You're grinding it out with a bunch of side jobs just to make your main hustle work. What is your advice to young people in that are presently in that journey? Because that's a hard phase of life. Evaluate your priorities. If you don't have enough, because I, I didn't do this properly and I was like hungry a lot. I didn't, you know, one 2017 before I started like shadowing La China in Atlanta, I didn't have a place to stay. So just like evaluate what you need out of life and be realistic about it. Because what can happen is you can have a job that you might necessarily love, but can finance you to do what you love. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, if you can afford to take the risk, then do it. But if not, really be realistic about living. Make sure you're above water. Make sure you have your basic needs met so that you can show up to your passion job fully in mm-hmm. 100%. Also, the ones who are complaining about working for free that have the capacity to work for free, just know people's time is money. So these people that are mentoring you, these people that are training you, these people that are your bosses that help you get into these spaces that you need to get, it's just, that's something money can't buy. Like with Howard though, though we had a stipend, like that's a situation where um, I didn't necessarily get paid like that, but the connections that he's given me and the guidance that he's given me is something that I can't even imagine buying. So just just know, like just weigh out what what's worth it, what's not. 
um, know what, what your breaking point is with, with finances and, and really be prepared to grind it out. Um, and that might not even be with money. Just be, be prepared to grind it out. Sports is an oversaturated market. You have to figure out what makes you unique. And that can cause burnout. That can cause you know, emotional instability that can cause financial instability that can cause high turnover at your job. You know, the trauma of seeing people get laid off every three months. You just, you just never know where, where this job is going to take you. But as long as you work off of passion, because journalism isn't necessarily the most lucrative career, right? Especially if you're not talent. So it's like, if you're working in production, if you're working as like a a mixed media journalist or editorial, especially poor thing, like I I love editorial and I hate that it's a dying um, journalistic practice, but um, just, just, just know what your goal is, what your passion is and really occupy that and make sure you're unique in your delivery so that you can't be um, overlooked or you can't be denied opportunities. The phrase that you have made so popular is the WNBA is so important. And it is. This phrase is beautiful, it's powerful, and everyone is using it now. Mm-hmm. When was the first time you you said this phrase? And when did you start to notice people like were coining it, using it as as this phrase that really um is so intrinsically attached to the WNBA? Uh, When I was still cheering, we used to have to be like the handlers for the players during junior NBA camps. And so the Liberty had a camp um, with with these kids and Swin Cash was still playing. So that gives you a timeline of things. Yeah. So this was at least years ago. And she sang, if you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention with the kids. And I whipped out my phone. And I recorded it and I posted on Facebook at the time. I said, the WNBA is so important. Then a few days later or a few weeks later, I was with Lisa Leslie and this little girl comes up to her. I was like, oh my God, like, can you sign my ball? And she signed my ball. Again, whipped out my phone, recorded it. And I was like, the WNBA is so important. It wasn't like this genius phrase that I like, it, it just, it just is like, I thought that, that moment was really special and that's going to stick with those kids or that kid. Um, in a way that, you know, other, other moments won't. And so just the importance of that, it just went hand in hand. WNBA is so important. So then going forward, because I, you know, I call things the way they are. Every time a player would give her shoes to a a fan or whenever a player would do something dope on or off the court, it was the WNBA is so important. And I didn't realize how frequently I used it, but then people started tweeting at me moments saying the WNBA is so important and then I would say like around two years ago I realized like oh this is a thing for everybody this is great and so it just grew and then now whenever there are dope moments on and on or off the court people say the WNBA is so important and I and I love that because the whole thing again a lot of reporters or a lot of you know people who do content get so caught up in the oh I started this oh I started this it's not that it's the conversation that's being brought about that contributes to exactly what you wanted it to do. Right. So I want to talk more about the WNBA. I wanted them to care about that player stories um, on and off the court. And that's what the WNBA is so important does. It gives a light to moments that you wouldn't otherwise see. And you can literally just search on Twitter. The WNBA is so important. It will give you a series of videos right. that, that matches the whole concept. And so you'll be able to talk about those. And, and I'm sure PR and the league office is really happy with the SEO of that because it's easy to find, but yeah, no, it's, it's just something that just naturally came 
from my perspective and it grew into a huge thing. The WNBA orange hoodie, I would be remiss if I did not bring up the orange hoodie, but it has become a staple piece and a statement piece in saying I support women, I support women in sports, and more specifically, I support women in basketball, playing basketball in the WNBA. This hoodie took off because of the women, both on the court and off, who were taking this and making it a staple in their wardrobe and also on social media. And then obviously Kobe Bryant's support, which did not just pop up overnight. He's been supporting the league from day one. Um, But the growth through this hoodie, I think speaks to the power that lies in social media and that fans are able to hold executives accountable, commissioners accountable, um, you know, broadcast companies accountable because they can directly say, why can't I watch this game? You know, why can't I get my favorite player's jersey here? Why can't, why can't, why can't? And so we've seen this, you know, a significant shift in women's sport culture and that there's just no argue. There's no saying anymore that the fan base isn't there. The support isn't there. It's there. So what kind of joy have you gotten from watching that being a part of it as a journalist and what's your hope for how fans will continue to use this platform to, to grow the support for women in sports? Before this year, there was always that argument of we don't know if people are going to love it or not. We don't know if we should make merch available because of the fear of money loss. But I'm like, okay, if we're already in the red, why not make merch available to see how people um, respond to it? And the fact that it's been such a positive response, this is like an iconic hoodie now. This is an award winning hoodie. Just, but that shows the urgency of people like needing. To, to, to have something that's representative of women's basketball. So I think that it's going to be the catalyst of more merch in the future. It's going to be the catalyst of investment in the women's game. It's going to show, like, just its existence shows that the demand is there. So now we just need to follow up with supply. And I think that it's going to be that factor that allows the game to grow. And, it, and it's funny that a piece of clothing had to do that, but something is so simple as a disruptive color, which is that's, I mean, honestly, let's relate it back to fire festival. They posted those yellow or orange squares on Instagram. They were disruptive. So this orange hoodie is disruptive, but it's so simple that it's not inherently the same WNBA. It has the logo and it's something that can transcend genders. And, and, and it's not, you can pair it with anything. You can style it up. You can be loungy. Like this is, these are just basics of marketing and fashion that you just, you know, you, you just know. So it's not a black hoodie. There are black hoodies available and black brunettes. I have a black brunette, but because the color is just so disruptive because the logo is so simple, because it has such heavy ties and the rebranding of the WNBA, it was an opportunity to make it cool. And I'm glad that it blew up the way it did. My last question for you, Ari, because I just, you know, who better to ask than the, than the women leading the way, but what is your hope for women in in sports in the future that we won't have any more first that it's just normal for us to be in this space and we don't have to sit there and justify why we're in it and why we're excellent at it it would be so normal everyday life that it's not like a big monumental thing every single time a woman does something that would be the goal that would be the great part and to be able to turn on the tv and just find a game 
It's something as basic as that, being able to turn on the TV and just find a game. And we saw the the increase in this past year, so I'm very proud of that. But but just knowing that these are these are just basic things to ask. I think that's success. I think it's success when uh, we're we get over the oh my god this happened and be like oh that was just the random Tuesday. Right, right. It's no longer news that a woman is a head coach or announced as a head coach or announced as a coach in a men's league. It's it's no longer news for a woman to become an executive at this company or that company. It's no longer news for women to exist and create in spaces that we've always belonged. We've just been told we didn't. So another and another goal I would I would say um, this has I guess it has to go to do with your question, but um, for us to stop paying mind to like the haters and just like cater to the to the audience that really wants to see us win. That's my challenge to everybody. Stop putting your your energy investment into the trolls and people who don't believe that it will work because there's literally no point in that. Stop coming from a place where nobody wants us to succeed because there are tons of people that do and and just put your put your energy into that. Ari, truly thankful that you took the time to come on Equal Play today. It's been such a joy becoming friends over these years. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.